I remember the first time I listened to Lanky Guys. You were ruining a great I song. The first time I, drove I have to point out. <laughs> Father Peter, this is The Word on the Hill. My name is Scott Powell. You were listening to the... That was discombobulated. This is The Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott, Dr. Scott Powell. And my name is Father Peter Musset. And uh, I, I have to tell you that, like... Like that song right now, we were talking earlier, like when I was in high school, I like got asked by a friend to like hand out like literally hundreds of samples tapes. Samples of the samples. <laughs> literally, it was sample samples. For those of you who don't know, that was a band called The Samples, which for many, many years of my life was my favorite band. Until my friend David Sinke pointed out to me that every song of theirs sounded exactly the same. <laughs> but dude, and then I realized he was right. But dude, it like literally like that one captures song. the entire feeling of college to me. It does. It, and high school for me. Yeah, yeah. Me too, ultimately, because I realized that like as I was handing these tapes out, I finally listened to one and I was like, these guys are great. Yeah. They're a Boulder band. Did you know that? They're from here. Yeah. Boom. They, uh, they even have a song called 15th and Euclid. You better believe they do. Or 14th and Euclid. Really? Yeah, because they Wait. lived... They lived at 14th and Euclid. No. Yeah, That's yeah. a block away from us. Uh, from where their we student sit center, right where now. we sit right now. And wow. so, so it's like very local. And, uh, and dude, uh, like I just have to say that like I'm about to go across the country on a motorcycle. Oh, you are going to do it? I'm doing it, dude. You're doing I'm, it. I'm pulling, the, I'm pulling the throttle. There's been much debate. I know, because I, I hurt myself on the spike ball. Did I talk about that last week? Nope. Yeah, yeah, I um, I, I went to spike a ball on in the game spike oh, ball. Oh, you did talk about that. Yeah, you didn't I, hurt yourself on the motorcycle. No. You hurt yourself playing spike ball. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And so I'm healing, and I've been soaping my arm in Epsom salts. Good for you. According to Megan Dillon's no, homeopathic fair. remedies. Annie would have told you the same thing had you asked her. Well, dude, that's awesome. And so it's it's working. And um, I'll tell you, I'm very excited. We're, I'm going to have to do some uh, podcasting from the road with you, though, dude. Oh, me, oh, my. Oh, me, oh, my. We'll saddle up. Saddle up. I might have to do it on my um, motorcycle. Oh, I would be so happy if you record. You will. You I, won't. There's I, no way you can do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's I, too complicated. No, I, I can uh, call in on my cell phone. Can you record my cell phone somehow? Maybe. Dude, You're going to be so distracted. No, 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 dude. This both is, on is, the podcast and your driving. No, what They will both be distracted. Is and like, they will both suffer. <laughs> and we will all can, suffer because of it. Can we try? Yeah, we can try. Okay, because that would be that would be the that'd be the first time we like mobile um, did the lanky guys. I mean, we've done it, but not like mobily, but not like not, not on like, a while, not while moving while motorcycle. We have lots of good ideas for podcasts, you guys. But dude, this is this just feels good because Colorado. I don't know, just Colorado feels good to me right now. Colorado's a good place. I'm just loving it. And that's why we played the samples because we were really feeling one of those moods. We guys know it. Feeling that Colorado feeling. Mm. Ironically, the song that we played is called Indiana. Dude, there was a USA Today report and they uh, they were trying to report about Colorado and yeah. they totally turned us into Wyoming. <laughs> well, it was about it was about certain certain drugs being exported. And ironically, they were talking about them being exported from here. But on the map, we were the one place that they weren't being exported to. <laughs> and they were all coming from Wyoming, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where elk great. outnumber people. Yeah, well, kind of. Anyway. Well, welcome to the 12th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Here's where elk outnumber you. I, I can't. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not feeling any humor today. Dude. I'm just going to be somber. <laughs> it's somber day with the lanky guys. Dude, actually, somebody earlier said that we should call the podcast Stanky Guys today. Because of you. <laughs> 
I know because of you two. You claimed your own stank, I know, dude. I did. I'm living in the wilderness, and you're living in a veritable wilderness of your house, which is under construction. Dude, we don't have hot water until Monday. Or a kitchen, or floors, probably, or walls. Dude, times are hard, and they want to deliver They want to deliver all my appliances, and I'm not ready for them. They're like, can we do it in two weeks? And I said, let's just do it in two weeks, and so it's working out. Yeah. Anyway, 12th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Our first reading is from Zechariah. Ooh, Zechariah. We haven't had Zechariah much Zechariah. at all. Zechariah. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible. It's chapter 12, 10 to 11, and then we take a skip to the 13 one. Skip, skip, skip to the 13. Our responsorial skip to psalm. my darling. Lynn. Our responsorial psalm is from Psalm 62, verse... No, I'm my sorry. 63, Psalm 63, bro. It's a... I'm just... I misspoke. Psalm 63, verse 2, and then verse 3 through 4, 5 through 6, and 8 through 9 in the responsorical. Sponsorical <laughs> is from 2B. Dude, how are we be gonna, or, or not, not to be. be? How are we gonna make responsoricicles? They could be dinosaurs with scripture written on them that are frozen pops, dude. Now why are they dinosaurs? Responsorosaurosicles. Saurus. Responsorosicles. Responsorosicles. Yeah. So they're dinosaurs who. Yeah, this is getting complicated in my mind. They <laughs> okay. have to somehow speak and give responses. Okay, and then now our segundo reading, or also known as the second reading, if you are speaking a different language, Yeah, yeah, is Galatians 3, 26 to 29, y'all. Yeah, that's right. And our gospel, of course, is coming. <laughs> thanks, for, to- <laughs> thanks for confirming what I just <laughs> said. True. I really appreciate that. I concur. <laughs> Our gospel is coming from chapter from the from chapter what? Luke. I'm a little bit of a mess today, dude. You're dude. You are a hot mess. What's happening? Dude? I don't exactly know. I really don't. We had a lovely <laughs> breakfast today. Lovely. We we, we you dude, know it was a beautiful morning. Dude, it's a little. I've warm. never I've never seen you have to confront a waiter before. But you're like, um, does this it this was, was supposed worst. to come? It's the worst with feeling. potatoes, and then the dude's like. Checking the most tattered thing from his pocket. He's like, let me check. Like, it was so weird. But he was like, no, I don't think so. And I was like, but you asked me what kind of potatoes I want with it. it I hate confronting waiters. It's the worst. I I usually just rather take whatever they give me than have to confront them. But I was so looking forward to going out to breakfast today. And I just got such a bum rap. But yeah. it all worked out in the end. Sorry, did you have any place where you're going with that or just wanted to point out that I confronted a waiter? Luke uh, chapter 9, 18 to 24 is what, we're, what we're looking at. also stole my gospel reading. I stole it, dude. That's, that's, oh, it's it, the kind of day it is. Scott, Scott came in with an overwhelming sense of guilt, and I think it's because you confronted the, uh, the, uh, waiter? the waiter. I don't I, think so. I think it is. Do you think so? I totally I, do. I don't think it is. I think it's, I think it's something else. Okay. I don't know. Dude, this is what it's like to be Catholic sometimes. Well, this is what it's like to be Zechariah. There's a good segue for you. Wow, man. I just got on the two-wheel Sterling engine <laughs> beast and segued right in. <laughs> where, where did the segue come in? Can you say that sentence again? Is that possible? Yeah, dude. I just got on that two-wheeled Sterling Engine Beast and rode right in. Segwayed right, right in, in, dude. Oh, Segway. Because <laughs> that was a verbal Segway. That was a verbal Segway, uh, and I got on a metaphorical, uh, analogical, anagogical. Even more brilliant. <laughs> well played, Father Peter. Dude, the, the, the thing that is so fun about that is that I actually brought up the technology which runs the Segway, which is the Sterling engine. It really is remarkable. Yeah, that's and which they uh, all those hoverboards are also working on Sterling engines. Those are not allowed in the dorms at CU because they burst into <laughs> flames. 
Which, Dude, let's get let's get this show on the road, bro. I'm trying to. Zechariah is a very interesting um, prophet. Zechariah, <laughs> tell me more, Father Peter. Zechariah, um, he comes in the post-exilic period. Kind of. He's in the he's in the interlude of the exilic. He's he's exilic. Well, <laughs> don't look to me. I don't know own anything it. about Owen. Whatever you're gonna say. I don't know. I was just trying to help you. <laughs> By giving you a segue into being able to read your notes. No, thank you. So Zechariah. Zechariah is an interesting time in, in the history of Israel. Okay. He's, um, I, I dug out some notes from a lecture I gave on him once, and I called it the beginning of the end of the exile. Oh. Because he does sort of bridge the gap between the period of the exile. So remember, they were taken. So Israel, just again, recap on the history. Ten tribes had, went. Please. Ten tribes got taken away into a diaspora. Two kind of stayed, but then they kind of got taken too. Then they totally Assyria. got taken. There was no, there was no kind of about it. Babylon just totally obliterated them. Okay, so then, so then, You're right, we, yeah. So then, w- what's happening though is that there's a big promise of which, from the exile, that they're going to actually be able to come back into their land. And and Zechariah right. is one of the big prophets of that um, return from exile. Yeah, so Zechariah and actually Haggai are contemporaries of each other. They probably know each other. So the period, so the books of the Bible that we're actually kind of finding overlapping right now, so you got Zechariah, you got the prophet Haggai, and the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which is, it, it's one of those sections of the Bible that's kind of forgotten and looked over, because how many of you have just spent a bunch of time digging into Haggai or Nehemiah? But you actually should, because it's a really cool time. So, yeah, Israel's been Fall in kept. on your Nehemiah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, Israel's been in exile, though. They've gone off to Babylon. So, yeah, like you said, um, two, 10, I can't do fractions very well. <laughs> Most of Israel, <laughs> 10 of the 12 tribes, 10 twelves. 10 12s. Which you have to reduce, right? To which one, is 5 sixths. 5 sixths? Is that right? Because double double the Someone's double the full number, double the full number, and that's what you you're doing. So then you just reduce everything by half. How do you divide it in half? To divide it in half because you because that's what I'm saying. You can't really. I mean, you could do like two point five thirds. So ten out of the twelve tribes of Israel <laughs> has been basically obliterated by Assyria, like you said. They've the, been fractured. Oh, very good. The rest of Israel, of course, has been taken into captivity by Babylon or killed and slaughtered. So Babylon, remember, terrible folks. Nebuchadnezzar, you know, really mean king. A lot of bad stuff. This is the time of Daniel, the time of Ezekiel. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. You know, all these things. They tried to make him bow down and worship the idols. Really bad times. But Babylon is overtaken. So the world's superpowers at the time. Remember, at one point, Egypt was the world's superpower. They interact with Israel a lot. Then Assyria was. Now Babylon is. Now Babylon is about to fall from their reign as the world's superpower. You, to- know, why, you know why they fell, right? <laughs> they, <laughs> no, they, 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 just, why? they just talked too much. Oh, I don't want to be from Babylon. <laughs> they babble on and on and on and on and on. I just want to be a sheep. Bye. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do with you. You guys, I can't believe you're even still listening. I can't. I would have Dude, they're having so now. much fun today. Or they're so annoyed by us. Yeah. It's one or the other. I don't know. I don't know. It's the summer. You guys lighten up out there. <laughs> Drink some sangria. Have some sangria. Listen, as long as it's not on your commute, then you're fine. Yeah, get have someone you get there. Anyway, so Babylon falls to who? Do you remember? Um, the what? Babylon falls to uh, India. <laughs> 
I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Um, yeah. No, I I, uh, the, I I don't know who they fall to. You actually do. It's the Persians. Because remember, oh. there's one important figure who is actually prophesied to be a kind That's of savior right. to the Israelites. Yes. And it was a guy named Cyrus the Persian. And Cyrus the Persian, again, the prophets actually speak to this guy who's going to come and be a kind of savior. It's ironic that he's called a kind of a savior, the Messiah in Hebrew, a, a, a kind of Messiah, which is not, he's not divine or anything, but God uses whomever he chooses to bring about his will, right? So this guy, Cyrus the Persian, he's going to overtake the Babylonians. He's going to look about at all the people that the Babylonians have taken into exile and kind of taken into slavery. And he realizes, I'm going to let these people go. And I'm going to let the Israelites go back to their homeland, go back home, and they're going to rebuild the temple and do all the things. And I'm going to, he, there was a benevolence to him. Now, there's a catch to it because it's clear that the Persians, they actually assisted the Israelites in rebuilding the temple. They gave them financial assistance to help them rebuild the temple, which was destroyed by the Babylonians, which is kind of amazing. But the problem to that is that they wanted the Israelites to rebuild the temple so that everyone could have someplace to go and offer their tithes, and then Persian could take a chunk of the tithes as their tax. Mm. So they figured, hey, if we help them build their temple and build their infrastructure again, and these are a thriving people, then we can tax them more heavily. So there's a kind of benevolence, and there's a kind of, you know... Opportunism. Opportunism is a good way to put it. But it's an interesting time in history. So Israel is... Israel, you're like, dude, that's actually a decent deal. Well, kind of, but here's the problem. So they go back to Israel, and this is most of what at least the first half of Zechariah is dealing with, and Haggai as well, who's, again, a contemporary. So they go back to the Holy Land. They begin to resettle Jerusalem. Remember, they're led back under Zerubbabel, who's sort of the leader now. Dude, which is, I think, uh, why did parents not name their kids Zerubbabel? Hey, Zerubbabel! Zeb, dude. Zeb. Zub. Zub. It'd have to be Zub. Or Rube. <laughs> Your kid is a Rube. Hey, Rube. Um, they go back under some leadership, but the problem with the people is that they don't want to rebuild the temple. And this is actually the problem really? that you run into in Ezra and Nehemiah, the problem that the first half of Zechariah is trying to solve, and the problem that Haggai is getting at. And the problem, and you can kind of begin to make sense of it. It's well, not just that the people... They don't want to tithe? They don't want to like, give their produce to the Lord? No, no. Here's the issue. They're back in the land now, but the land has been ravaged and decimated, and their cities are gone and wiped out, and they're like, wait a second. We still have barely rebuilt our own homes, and you want us to go and rebuild this temple building? And they also know their history. So uh, there's a part of laziness of like, we've got a lot to do and we've got a lot of things to settle and we have our houses to put in order and I need a new roof and all these things. I don't have time to go and deal with the temple and rebuild that. I'm trying to rebuild my own life for Pete's sake. Right. And so the idea is, no, you have to put first things first though. But then I think there's something else and I wonder if there's something else in their mindset saying, look, we actually know our history and we know the reason we were sent into exile in the first place was because of this temple which you said has become this den of, Jeremiah said has become a den of robbers and thieves. And this was sort of the material cause of us going into exile and being punished to begin with. So why would we want to rebuild this thing? Right. And the, the key is that everybody in the time of uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they knew that God's presence had left the temple. What is the temple? The temple is nothing more than the presence of God himself, the physical, temporal, tangible presence of God among us. That's why they had a temple. And before it's destroyed by the Babylonians, everyone actually sees the presence of God, the Shekinah, the glory cloud, actually get up and leave the temple and take off. And they're like, oh boy, God has abandoned us. God has literally left us. We see him. There he goes up off over that mountain. And they're like, rut row. 
Which is why, by the way, the very fir- one of the first words in the Gospel of Matthew, when the angel announces that the Messiah is going to be born, yeah. he announces to Mary his name is what? Uh, Emmanuel. Which means? God is with us. Which is actually an answer to a question that Israel's had for hundreds of years. What? Wait, God abandoned us. God has left us. The answer of the New Testament, the first words out of the angel's mouth is, no, God is with you. And he always has been. You just haven't been able to see him. So this is the answer to the pain of the exile and all of these things. So, But at the time of Zechariah, they're thinking, well, God's presence has left. He's abandoned us. Why should we rebuild this temple? And it's the whole, you know, I always call it, I jokingly call it the field of dreams theology. And the answer of Zechariah, if you build it, it, God will come. So we have to build the temple first to show him we're ready for him to come back among us. But it's sort of a, there's an issue of trust. We don't know if we want to build this because what if he doesn't come back? What if he forgets about us? What if this doesn't work? Yeah. And plus we're lazy and plus we have our own homes to get in order and all these things. So the whole point of the book of Zechariah is try to get them to put first things first. And the second half of the book, which is where we step into it now, is about what's going to happen when we do eventually do this. And there's these beautiful powerful prophecies starting in chapter nine. Chapter nine is considered the second half of the book of Zechariah. And it basically shows God coming back to his people. And there's this imagery of God literally marching through the nations, announcing that I am back. I have returned and I'm going to this nation. I'm going over here. And he's literally traveling. He's trekking through the land. Like you're talking about taking your motorcycle ride across the country. God is doing a worldwide tour to basically bring justice and I'll show everyone, hey, I'm coming back. And he comes to the temple and he comes to Jerusalem and it's this glorious thing. And part of the reason that Zechariah says he's going through all of the land is to announce to the remnant. So the scatterings, what's left of those 10 tribes who are scattered to the four winds, he has to let them know, hey, now's the time to come back home, regather because the Lord is coming back. So he's literally going around, making this announcement, trying to bring one another back, trying to bring the tribes, the remnant, everybody else back. There's such allusions to the New Testament when Jesus literally will make a long route and travel through all of Israel and the Samaritan regions and the Gentile regions and all these places. All the way up north. All the way up north. Sidon, all the way down to the south. Announcing, hey, I'm back. He's doing what Zechariah said he was going to do. But then what we get in this part of the reading, it's it's the whole book of Zechariah is this kind of mixed, mixed blessing of you're back in the land. This is really good. God is coming home. You need to rebuild the temple, make it ready for him. All the nations are going to flock to Zion. But then in chapter 11, it goes into this whole thing about really bad shepherds. But you're going to have lousy leadership. And actually, there's a passage in chapter 11 that says you're going to have shepherds that sell out the, the Messiah for 30 pieces of silver. And who will actually sell him. And after he's sold, he's going to be turned over to his enemies and he's going to have all these sufferings. And then where we pick it up today, it says, thus says the Lord, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and petition. And they will look upon him who they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they shall grieve over him as one grieves over a firstborn. And on that day, the mourning in Jerusalem shall be great as the mourning of, uh, Hadrodrium and the plain of Megiddo. God is going to come back and you're going to turn against him. And the shepherds themselves will sell him out and he will be destroyed. And there will come a point where you realize it. 
And the last line is important, though. On that day, a fountain will be opened for the house yeah, of yeah. David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to purify from sin and uncleanness. It's like, it's as clear as crystal that we're talking about the crucifixion, the suffering, the death, the pierced side, and baptism in Jesus yeah. Christ. Well, the, the reference to uh, the plain of Megiddo. Har-Mageddon. Har-Mageddon, right? Armageddon. So when we hear the word Armageddon, you know, we think of dramatic movies and Bruce Willis and <laughs> meteors or, or tanks rolling into Jerusalem and wars and all these things. But there's a very specific Old Testament cultural reference to Har Megiddo. Do you remember what happened on the plains of Megiddo? Big battle. Yes, but what, what was the climax of that big battle? Big uh, battle. Big battle. What is... Oh. It's fascinating. The story is told in Second Chronicles, I believe. So there was a, a famous king in Israel. Give me some of that. Who's the second? Do you, I, and this isn't meant to be a trick question, but I'm just curious if you know. Who is the second most famous king in Israel? Second most Who's famous? Who's the most famous king? Uh, David. David, probably. Yep. And maybe not the most famous. Well, we have a certain memory, but then there's a certain Hebrew memory. So we always remember Solomon because of his wisdom. Yeah, that's, we remember that David. gives nice. Ahab. No. Ahaz. Who is, who is the best? David. The, well, David, but then the second. Who's remembered after David. I don't can't I can't come up. It's with a guy that. named Josiah. Do you remember King Josiah? No. Have you heard of him? Yes. He comes uh, a few generations after the time of David, when the nation had begun to spiral out of control again, which she always tends to do. The people fell into grave sin, and Josiah was believed to have actually found the book of Deuteronomy, which someone buried or hid somewhere in the temple. And he discovered it. And he's like, holy cow, we haven't been doing any of this stuff. He like, said, I discovered this book that we need to start following now. You know what he said. What? Dude. Aronomy. Yeah. Come yeah, on. Well done. No, nice job. Yeah. But so he calls for all these reforms. He does all the, I mean, it's amazing. He turn. he says, people, we need to turn back to God. We need to get on our horse. We need to do these things. In a big recitation of it, he builds a platform, yep. that whole thing. Yeah, and there's a big battle where he goes to battle, and Josiah is cut down on the plains of Megiddo. He dies. Um, he's in his mid-30s, the uh. Bible makes clear. And aside from oh. the book of Lamentations, which is a mourning for the destruction of the temple, yeah. there is no more profound mourning for someone in the Bible than there is for Josiah Ooh. in the Old Testament. He is None besides the temple itself is mourned for as much as Josiah was. Wow. So this is the national ethos. This young, righteous, um, holy king cut down in his mid-30s who dies on the plains of Megiddo. That's what's being referenced. A young, righteous, innocent king wow. cut down in his mid-30s is what Zechariah is alluding to. So it, it is, like you said, it's such strong illusion. And then, of course, they pierced him. This is a reference to the piercing of the side, right, out of which is going to flow the church. But Zechariah, I mean, it, it's hard to read seriously read the Old Testament prophets and not see this picture of Jesus. I, I like to think of the especially the minor prophets, so Zechariah and Hosea and Joel and all these little prophets that we don't read very much, they're all like a giant jigsaw puzzle, each of which has a few of the pieces that will make up Jesus's life. And if you put Zechariah together with Haggai and Joel and Amos and the rest, you hear about this righteous one who's going to be cut down like Josiah, who's going to be pierced in his side, who's going to be born to a virgin, who's going to come from Bethlehem, all of these things like a jigsaw puzzle, you put them together and you're like, oh, I see the whole picture. It's so exciting. Which is why scripture needs to be taken as a whole. It's a mosaic yes. and only together can you see the, whole, the fullness of it, which is neat. Absolutely. And and when you step back and you actually get the full picture, because a mosaic, when you're just up on it, it's like, yeah. oh, that's nice. That's 
they got some tile that's there. <laughs> then you walk back and you're like, oh my goodness. Right, right. Then the resolution is so rich because it includes everything. Yeah. Which is what the psalm, I think, is trying to get at. Psalm mm. 63. My soul is thirsting for you, O Lord my God. And just you, you can see in the sense of I want to see. I want to get. And this is, I mean, think about it again, the first reading. They're back home. This is what they've been waiting for and praying for and longing for for over 70 years. Yeah. Let us go back. And now they're back. But it's still not. It's still not free. It's still they're still not out of exile yet. They're it's, back in Jerusalem, but it's controlled by somebody else. They're being taxed. It's not their home anymore. Just things. There's a sense that exile's not done yet. Mm, yeah. So our soul is still thirsting for you now. And it's this idea that you get you. There's this time that many of us have had in our lives. You know, you finally get. You reach the goals that you wanted to reach. Or you achieve the things that you wanted to achieve, or you get the job you wanted to get, or into the school you wanted to get into, and you're like. Is that it? I remember hearing a, a talk when in FCA by, I think it was David Robinson. Remember him? No. Um, he was a basketball player and a baseball player. Oh yeah, yeah, Robinson. Yeah, who I think I think it was him. I hope I'm not mistelling the story, but he was a devout Christian. Yeah. And he was telling this story where, you know, he had all, had all of these sports championships and had all of these successes, and he was sitting at the bottom of the dog pile from like his second World Series win, and everyone had jumped on top of him, and like this is the top of the world. And he said, I remembered sitting literally at the bottom of the dog pile, what should have been the greatest moment of my life, thinking to myself, is this all there is? This is it. I've achieved everything. Wow. That, that's it. There's there nothing more to my life, which was the moment that he began this, my soul thirsting for you, oh Lord, my God. He wow. realized there has to be more. Yeah. So yeah, they're back in Jerusalem. They've got the things that they wanted, but there's got to be more. Right. And that's why Zechariah is saying, no, that's why you have to rebuild the temple. Right. Because there is more and you need to prepare the way for it because he is going to come. And if you're not ready, he's going to catch you. He's going to find you unready. And you actually have to announce this. You have to help him and, and, and facilitate this. Yeah. So that's where I think the psalm fits in kind of kind of well. Yeah. Whenever I, when I pray, uh, have this psalm, and we we pray this uh, on, the, on the big feast days uh, always, and um, uh, in the breviary. And I think of uh, Tony Arnello, or now Father Anthony of the Beatitudes, and he had written a, read a song. He had read a song for it. He read it. a song. Oh God, you are my God. And <laughs> he I didn't write that. Oh, he didn't write that, did he? That's uh, what's his face. <laughs> it's uh, and Rich Mullins. I will always say Ri- you. Rich Mullins, who's really famous. <laughs> Remember? Yeah, I do. I All do. Right. Yeah, thanks. It is David Robinson. I'm very happy to. <laughs> I checked myself. That um, takes us to Galatians. Galatians, which is all about baptism, which goes directly into the relationship of the first reading of this fountain that's going to pour out and cleanse from sin and and with sin and water. You know, that's absolutely true. That is the explicit connection, but there's an <laughs> implicit connection as well. Oh, you are on fire! That I was trying to, I'm not on fire, but but so remember that I had to dig in Zechariah, but Zechariah, remember right what what comes right before what we read this week is that God is going to go around, literally traveling this route, trying to bring all of the scattered remnant, the scattered broken apart family back together. That's why he's coming to Jerusalem, to be seen by the family so they can all regather together. And that's actually what Galatians is also getting at. Because all of you who are baptized into the water that flows out of the side of Christ, right? You're neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male or female. You're all of Abraham's children. All of humanity has been gathered back together in the Catholicos, in the universal church. Right. 
And the call has gone out, just like Zechariah said it would. Christ has begun to travel. He began to, to spread the seed. The apostles went out to the four winds and continued to spread that seed so that all people could be gathered back in. But it's precisely what Zechariah predicts will happen, that all people from all nations will be drawn into this mm. so that those distinctions begin to break down. The barriers mm. are gone. Right. But again, it's directly connected to what is going to, Zechariah says, that has to happen. And this one is going to be pierced to bring that about. And we're right. going to look upon him and we're going to realize it. Right. And it's actually going to bring this grace somehow. Again, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but for Zechariah, he's like, how is this going to happen? I don't know, but I'm trusting that it will. Right. And, and Paul's picking up on that in Galatians, I think. Mm. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. I always, yeah, the re- return from exile, it's like... Um, with the diaspora, it's like, how do you reclaim all the peoples you call everyone? You have to call everybody. You, you have to drag it. everybody else. Which, remember, what was the whole vocation of Israel to begin with? Worldwide blessing. To be the light to the nations, to be the blessing to the world, which they failed at. So God, what? Sends them to the four winds by force so that they can bring everybody else back with them. That's the only way to do it. But it's just God fulfilling the intention he had for Israel from the beginning. Amen. <laughs> and thank you for listening to the podcast today. We have one more reading. For oh, shoot. Here. I'm sorry. It's the Gospel of Luke. Come on, I just do it in there because you usually do that at the very beginning. And mm, so I wanted to do, do it about three quarters of the way through. We do, but we didn't. Or five well, sixths of the way through, actually, ah, depending on how we were. Uh, I'm so embarrassed by my math skills. <laughs> Dude, they usually don't come out on the podcast. <laughs> I'm really this embarrassed is, by all my math skills. You're better at math than I am. I just d- divided it in half. That's good. Thing. As you should have. I was trying to get to some prime numbers. Or We're going to get numbers. some nerdy emails this week. Oh, dude, can we are. It. It's going to be amazing. Dude, let's, <laughs> let's dig okay. in on a little bit of uh, Luke, dude. Boom. Once when Jesus was praying by himself, the disciples were... <laughs> Isn't that a strange sentence? Once when Jesus was praying by himself and the disciples were with him. <laughs> so is he by himself or are the disciples with him? Yeah, they're nearby. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's, it's I know. Like, I, it's, it's I'm like, not splitting hairs. I just thought it was funny. It's like Camp 4 at Yosemite. How so? I don't know. I just, okay. I just, I just watched you that just movie. Just wanted to pull that out. Valley Uprising. Valley Uprising, because it's free on Netflix. That's exactly all now. <laughs> all right. So he said to them, "Hey, who do the crowds say that I am?" So this is a parallel of something we find both in Matthew and in Mark. Matthew and Mark give us more full-bodied accounts of this thing. Okay. And um, yeah, Luke strips it down. He gives us the essentials. So he basically says, okay, who did the crowd say that I am? He's giving the first public opinion poll. He's like, what, what are people saying about me? What's the vibe out there? And they're like, well, 25% say you're John the Baptist, and 34% think you're Elijah, and you know, 28% are undecided. I think you're one of the prophets. That was funnier three years ago, I think, when I made that show. <laughs> yeah, thanks for laughing. At me. You only laugh at me when I self-deprecate myself. <laughs> <laughs> Not when I actually make a joke. That's the wrong kind of friendship. Dude, that is the wrong. I'm a bad friend. No, it's okay. Dude, the, it, it's, it's, a, it's a year for polling and stuff, but I'm like so <laughs> tired of like any sort of Sorry. everything. And so no, that's true. I know you just touched a hard part of my soul. Sorry. So they're all saying, okay, this is what people are saying about you. And he says, okay, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said in reply, the Christ of God. Now, it's funny because, man, my dogs are barking. Uh, so there's a dog barking in the background, you guys. See, I laughed. That was a funny joke. Yeah, no, it was good. And then that I, was a genuine laugh, too. Yeah. Peter said, you are the Christ of God. And he scolded them, or at least what the NAB says is he scolded them. And he directed not to tell anybody, which is just, it's, it's a funny. So he asked the question, 
He's like, so who's everybody saying I am? And they're like, well, some people think this. Some people think you're a prophet or Elijah or whatever. He's like, well, what about you? And Peter's like, you are the Christ. And he scolds him. He's like, be quiet. Don't tell anybody. You You get a weird vibe from Jesus here. In Matthew's account, it's very different. Remember, Peter says this. And I don't know whether there's multiple occasions of this or, again, uh, Luke is kind of stripping it down and give you a slightly different perspective on the same reality. But in Matthew's account, this is where Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom and says, it's because you have understood this that I'm actually making you the Pope, literally. But here, his response seems to be negative. And again, even if you keep reading Matthew and Mark, as soon as they do this, as soon in, in Mark's account, as soon as Peter makes this declaration, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter gives, or Jesus gives him the keys to the kingdom, changes his name from Simon to Peter. And then he says, now I'm going to go and suffer. And that's where Peter's like, uh-uh, I'm not going to let you suffer. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Right. So in any of the accounts, Jesus is pretty quickly ticked off by Peter's it's a funny thing. I mean, the way the Gospels want to show this, again, you get the kind of the dichotomy you have in the first reading. Peter's there. He's arrived at something. He's reached a conclusion that is right. He's home. He gets that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, but he doesn't really get it yet. Just like in the first reading, the people of God are back in their home yet, but they're not really home yet. Ooh, nice connection. Yeah, does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. Because Peter still doesn't understand that the Son of Man, to be the Messiah, he has to suffer and he has to be rejected by the elders and killed on the third day and all of these things. And if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow after me. Again, Luke just gives you the information. Matthew and Mark tell you Peter's response and the apostles' responses, which are, we don't get it. That doesn't sound appealing to us. Again, in Zechariah, he's saying, great, it's wonderful you're back in the land. It's great that you're starting to build your house again. But you also have to deny yourself and rebuild this temple because none of being back in the land matters if you're not showing the Lord that we are ready for his presence to return to us. So deny yourself a little bit. Take up the cross of having to collectively come together and build this temple so that the presence of God can come back. Put aside your own needs and your wants for a moment and begin to do this. That's the call of the first reading. It's precisely what the apostles cannot seem to wrap their minds around in the gospel either. No, we get that you're the Christ. We get that you're the king. We like that. We want the riches. We want the stuff. We want the thrones. We don't know if we're comfortable with denying ourselves or sacrificing Mm. anything. Mm. Unless it's in a very heroic, very explicit, victorious kind of a way. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not what it's about. And what Jesus is saying is that this, what he's really saying in between the lines is, this should be clear to you. As you said in reference to the first reading, if you read this stuff clearly, it's crystal clear. Crystal. What the prophets say is going to happen to the Messiah, it's it's clear as a bell. Although, as we've said many times in this podcast, hindsight is always twenty twenty because you have the prophets who say a lot of things about the Messiah. And here in Zechariah, they say he's going to be pierced and he's going to suffer. He's going to be sold out for 30 pieces of silver. But elsewhere, it says he's going to be victorious and he's going to ride a war horse and he's going to defeat all of his enemies and he's going to bring down the hammer on everybody and he's going to do all these things. So is he going to suffer? And be denied and be humbled, or is he going to be victorious and mighty and strong? Well, this this is the thing is, we we were talking about this earlier, there's a certain level of confirmation bias. So what you're going to do is you're going to go through and you're going to say, 
I have a particular picture and perspective of what it's going to be. And so yes. I'm going to look for that. Yeah. And all the data that's contrary to what I'm trying to confirm is going to be rejected. Yes. And so what happens is you get all of these contrasting forces yes. saying he's going to be victorious. He's going to t- t- take out domination. He's going to win. And you've got these other people who are saying, no, man, he's going to, he's going to get, he's going to get hurt. And this is going to be terrible. And you still have, and then to the point on where it's the argument's so intense that they're like, the Lord is going to have to send two different people. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Or three or four. Right. Which, and we have the same reality because quite frankly, I think people, Christians today tend to believe in two different messiahs. And I, this is the one I see most explicitly. Either this idea that, well, Jesus, God in the Old Testament God, he was mean and he was always mad. New Testament Jesus, he wants us to love each other and forgive everybody and be peaceful and everything is great. And we should all hold hands and everything is nice, which doesn't seem to jive for the, with the moments that Jesus calls his disciples Satan, says, get behind me, or breaks out a whip in the temple and begins to drive people out and at righteous the commerce, anger. Yeah. That doesn't fit together. You're like, wait a second. But you said to love and forgive everybody. I don't understand how you can have this righteous anger. Or, or simultaneously, the people who want to have a Jesus that just lays down the law and always brings the hammer. And we don't want to love the enemies because our enemies are, you know, those are the people that God should smote somehow. We don't want to reconcile the fact that Jesus actually is both. He is love. He is forgiveness. He is mercy, but he is also righteousness. And there is also a time for righteous anger and for setting things right. We have to hold both of those seemingly contradictory things inside of our heads to begin to wrap our minds around who our God is. So it's not just the Old Testament. I think we do it in terms of the New Testament, too. So we shouldn't be Christians who are just looking to accuse everybody. But we shouldn't also be Christians who are just doormats and say everything's fine either. Which is where, how do we, how do we reconcile this? Well, and that's where also God is, Jesus Christ is true God, true man. He's actually, he, his personhood is, is complete, but he's true God, true man. And he's able to accomplish these, these things and hold them in within himself, which is funny. I mean, it's like uh, as Catholics, we have a catchphrase, both and it's like, it's both and more like all of this is, is just, it's the fullness of reality yeah. being brought forth. And how do you navigate it? Thanks be to God. We have a spirit that's been poured into our hearts and, and, the, and, and an ability to understand and to have reason and to be able to engage and to say, and to engage a living God who doesn't want to lead us astray. And the other important thing, the other comforting thing is that we don't entirely have to wrap our minds around it. Mm. We're asked to submit ourselves to a God who actually is all of these things. Elsewhere in Zechariah, actually a few chapters before this, it actually quotes Exodus, which says, be still. You have only to be still. The Lord will fight the battle for you. Mm. And that's the problem. We want to take all of this on ourselves. We want to, and it's, you know, the first reading again, we actually have a role to play in what God is going to do. You know, Jesus says we have to take up our cross and deny ourselves. We have a role to play. But really, the denying ourselves is saying, I actually can't do this. Right. I can't be the world's Messiah. I can't wrap all these things up. So my job is to actually be still and trust that God will actually bring his justice and his mercy and his forgiveness and his vengeance and whatever else he wants to bring. And my job is to get on board, which to deny myself. Which is brings us all the way back to the first reading. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek yeah. first the temper of the body of Jesus Christ. And everything else will be added to you. I mean, that's just just the deepest truth. That's it. Y'all, we love you. We do. 
We will see you next week. We'll take you out again with the samples, so take that. Whoa, whoa. And uh, have a great 12th Sunday of Ordinary Time. 12. I'll be talking to you from the United States of America. Nice. Boom. Goodbye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.